Good evening. Welcome back to The Way, The Truth, and The Life, lesson number eight. Last time we got together, we looked all about who Jesus was. Who was this man Jesus? He's, he's God manifest in flesh. He's not co-equal, co-eternal. He was literally the Old Testament God manifest in flesh, one in the same. The Lord took on flesh so that he might pay the price for our sins by shedding his blood on the cross. He did it because he loves you and I so very, very much. And so if you have any questions about previous lessons, this lesson, anything we can do to help, please email us and we will do our best to get you the answers that you need. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the fact that we are able to tune in, use technology to, to discuss your word and to dive into it and see principles and truths that are timeless. And God, I pray tonight, Lord, again, another important uh, principle and another important set of truths. Lord, that we'll look at, help our hearts and minds to be open. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, when we start to discuss the concept of salvation, sometimes people can get very defensive. They'll say, are you saying I'm not saved? What about my grandma? And my church doesn't teach this. And listen, this has never been about winning an argument or pitting one denomination against another denomination. This is simply a study of the word of God. Romans 3, 4 says, God forbid, yea, let God be true, and but every man a liar. And so when someone's clearly stated, and some, something is clearly stated in Scripture, it's never, it's not about one pastor against another pastor, one person against another person, one denomination against another denomination. It's about obedience to God Almighty. That's why this is what I trust right here, the inspired word of God, the text. And so... As we've talked about the entire Bible study, there's a theme of grace, faith, and obedience. And so if God shares his plan for salvation with humanity, that's grace. And, and then we can say, well, we believe that, but what do we do about our belief? If we say, well, I believe it, what am I going to do about that? And so as much as I might or you might respect a pastor, priest, deacon, pope, bishop, monk, whoever, the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. So... So I am always going to say, hey, I'm going based on what the word of God says. Hebrews 5, 9 says, being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all the, that, that obey him. A couple of key points on this passage. Number one, it says God is the author of salvation. So because he's the author, he wrote the story. He's the author. So he has this right because he's the one who purchased our salvation. And so because he purchased, he paid the price we were supposed to pay. He has the right to set the parameters. He's the author. Secondly, he expects obedience to his plan. He's the author of eternal salvation to who? Not those who believe in him. Those who obey him, who follow through with their faith. So before we can discuss the plan, God's plan for salvation, we must first look at the fact that we first have to realize and acknowledge that there's a problem. Can't look at the plan without acknowledging and recognizing the problem. So many people, they don't, they don't see the need for salvation. You know, I'm a pretty good person. I haven't really done anything wrong. Well, look at Romans 3.23. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Guess what? Say all, 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 right? All have sinned. 
That means you, me, we all have sinned, every single one of us. But then it says, as a result of that, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So we have, this is saying, we're all sinners. Even if you only made one mistake in your entire life, you are a sinner and so am I. One sin, we're sinners. So now that makes us a sinner. One poor choice, one bad decision, we are sinners. And because of sin, we are supposed to die. The wages of sin are death. We learned that way back Adam and Eve. God says, you shall surely die. So wages of sin are death. We're all sinners, but thank God for the rest of that, that verse in 623. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life. How? How, do, how is that even possible? Because of Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he paid the price for the wage of sin. And so because he paid that price, he did not overlook the fact that the price needed to be paid. He didn't just turn his head and said, ah, forget it. No, he said, I'm a just God. My word stands forever. I said there must be death and there will be, except for it's not going to be them. It's going to be me. I'm going to take on flesh and I'm going to pay the price that they were supposed to pay. And so he's a just God. But he didn't come to just pay for our sins. He came to be our example. What does that mean? Well, he died on the cross for our sins. He was buried in a grave, and then he rose again three days later. This is known as the death, burial, and resurrection. So we also need to follow the death, burial, and resurrection. Now, you might say, well, well goodness, I don't want to die. What are we talking about here? Well, just as the first step in God's plan in the Old Testament tabernacle was the altar of sacrifice, that was a place of bloodshed, death, and sacrifice. Look what the New Testament says for us today. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which what is not unreasonable, it's your reasonable service. So now, just as in the Old Testament, the first step was the altar of sacrifice. They put an, an innocent animal on there, and blood was shed, and death was, was made there at that first step. In the New Testament, Christ dies on the cross, and if I'm a Christian, I want to identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. Well, now my life becomes the living sacrifice. I must die out to self. What does that even mean, though? Look what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 31. It says, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. And look what Paul says. Three, three kind of crazy words. He says, I die daily. What does he mean by that? How can we die every single day? Well, this is how we identify with the death, burial, and resurrection. The death of Christ. We die out to self. Look at Romans 6, 10. For in that he died, speaking of Jesus, he died unto sin once. But he that liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, what does it say? Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. So God is saying there is going to be eternity, and there is going to be, and, and we're going to obey something. Here it's talking about obeying the flesh and the lust thereof. 
we read the other verse that says he became the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. So you today, wherever you are, whenever you're watching or listening, you will obey something. You're either going to obey your flesh, your, your lust, or you're going to obey what the Bible says, what the word of God says. And so we obey something. Now, new life, it says here that you should obey the lust that, uh, that we're dead unto sin, but alive through Christ Jesus our Lord. So new life, that's called new, new birth. The Bible talks about it as new birth. And that what happens is when we go into new birth, the first step of going from the old person to the new person is a dying out. That is called repentance. There's a reason why in the Old Testament, to bring this around full circle, because we've already looked at the Old Testament tabernacle, the Old Testament, that is the altar of sacrifice was that very first step. Now, it's interesting that every piece of furniture in the entire tabernacle could fit inside that altar. We cannot long for the presence of God and just skip the sacrifice. We can't dream of a fulfilling life in Christ, but not be willing to lay down our sinful flesh and say, God, I want to die out to self and live for you instead. So repentance, when you look, if you, if you look with me now, the Greek word is metaneo. That means a, a, you'll see a picture on your screen that talks, it, it, it's kind of a U-turn. That's really kind of what repentance is, except for it's, if you could look, it's like an about face. It's, it's I'm heading this way. But now I'm going to be heading this way. I'm changing direction. I'm changing my course. Notice that when I do that, okay, I'm living in sin. I say, now I want to die to self. I want to turn toward God. I want to turn away from my current path, and I want to go on a new path. Look at this. Repentance, my location does not necessarily change instantaneously. Sometimes I think people come to God, and they're like, I want to I commit to you. I want to live my life for you. And then they get really frustrated because they, they, they get frustrated and they go, okay, I thought it was going to be better. I thought that life was going to change. I thought that it was going it, it to go so much better than it is right now. Well, be patient with yourself too because when I'm living for God this or living for my flesh and I say, I'm going to live for you, God, I want to change my direction. I want to change my course. My direction is changed, but my location has not, because I've started a new process. I'm, I'm now going to start living for God, and even if it's just baby steps, metaneo is that change of direction. Be patient. Location doesn't change instantly, but direction does, and that's what repentance is, and so it's, it's the act of pivoting 180 degrees, changing your, your mindset, an opposite viewpoint, so um, repentance does not, it, it, it gets you on the right path. It starts you toward Christ. And so remember in our first lesson that, that God is calling us to do something. He wants you to do something with your life and, and to do something in response to his word. He's calling for action. And, and so look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. It says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of his father. Doeth, E-T-H, that's a continuation. He that did, no, he that doeth, a continual, I'm going to continue to do the will of my Father. Now, doing does not mean that I can earn my own salvation. Because 
people that would maybe disagree with me on this, they say, well, you're, 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 what you're teaching is these responses. It's like you're saying, well, you can earn salvation by something you do. But here's the thing. Scripture calls us to do something. It says, it says that he that doeth the will of his father, that's going to be the person that inherit, inherits the kingdom of heaven. So I have to do something. But doing is not earning my own salvation. It simply means responding to God's plan for salvation, to the plan that he made known to me by his grace. I'm now going to respond to that plan. I didn't, I didn't earn my own salvation. He, he purchased that. He made the way. But now he, it, grace is an invitation for me to respond. And so just like God laid out exact plans for, for Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah's boat, Abraham and circumcision, the, the Israelites and their sacrifice, the tabernacle, repentance is the very first step that God lays out for his people to be saved. They couldn't skip steps, just like in the Old Testament. They couldn't just say, you know what, I don't have time to wash at the brazen labor. I'm just jumping into the holiest of holies. They would if you remember, it said they needed to wash that they die not. There was death that would have taken place if they said, I'm skipping a step. What makes us think that Noah couldn't skip steps, and Abraham couldn't skip steps, and Cain and Abel couldn't skip steps, and the Israelites couldn't skip steps, and the, the high priest couldn't skip steps, and now we get to the, to the 21st century, and it's just like, yeah, you know, I'm, you believe what you want, I'll believe what I want, as long as we got a higher being, we'll do it our own way, we got to what? Come on now, there's always been a plan, and so they couldn't skip steps, neither can we. So what's this first step? It's this, the, look back to the, to the tabernacle, the dying out, the altar of sacrifice. I die daily, Paul says, but look what Jesus says. Luke 13, 3, it says, I tell you, you nay, except ye repent, you shall all likewise perish. And look at this, it's not a typo or a, a, a screen error for you. Jump down to verse 5 and look, verbatim. Very few times Jesus will repeat himself verbatim. He says it again. I tell you nay, except ye repent, you shall all likewise perish. So if I'm a Bible believer, I can look at this and go, I cannot make it. To, there's no eternity, no eternal life, no salvation without this step. I cannot, without repentance, I absolutely perish, according to Scripture. But how do we repent? Okay, so now if you say, all right, I get it. I need to repent. Biblically, it's there. It's crystal clear. But now how do I repent? Listen, chances are you do not like anyone who is fake. I don't like people who are fake. You know, they say one thing, oh, and they act one way, and then they act a different way. I, I can't stand that. And I know you probably can't either. Imagine having a friend of yours. You guys hook up for dinner. You say, oh, man, it's so good to see you. And they have their phone, and there's a little cue card here. And they said, hi, how are you? I am doing well. How is your family? Good, good to hear. What are you doing for work now? You'd be looking at your friend like, man, you need to set your phone down. What's wrong with you? Like, this is crazy. You're not going to read a cue card off of your phone to talk to me. We're friends. Well, guess what? I'm not... I don't see in scripture that there was like a sinner's prayer where someone is handed a card and then you repeat the words and say, blah, 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 and, and, and you sit here and read, read someone else's words on a card in order to get, you know what a sinner's prayer is? It's whatever you want to pray, whatever I want to pray. You're, you, you might have a person over here going, God, 
Father, Lord, I need thee, O God. And then you might have another person go, Lord, I'm a knucklehead and I need help. You know, it, 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 no, matter, it, no matter what, it, each person's prayer, God created you. We are, we are made in his image. So your prayer of repentance is not going to sound like my prayer of repentance and vice versa because we, our prayers of repentance vary. And so, but the repentance, it comes from the heart. It comes from the deep down in our soul going, God, forgive me. God, I'm sorry. God, I want to do an about face. God, I want to go a different direction. God, I don't want to keep on this same path. Lord, I've made mistakes and poor choices and foolish decisions. God, forgive me. Whatever that is, that's what God wants to hear, not someone else's words. I'm not going to write out your prayer and you read it and then say, hey, it's done. No, it is God, forgive me. He already knows who you are, so you might as, might as well be real. Think about this. Think about this. Just might as well be real. That would be, we, when, when I'm changing my mind, when I'm changing my direction, I'm changing my course, after all, it's, it's God. It is, it is him. He took the nail that I was supposed to take. I'm the one that was supposed to take it. So you don't have to pray and try to sound really smart and try to, try to look like you have it all together and use 16 these and 4 thous. You don't have to do that. You just share with God how you feel. That's what repentance is. And so now this next step, so you read, okay, I see repentance in the Bible. I followed it. I died out. I prayed that prayer. And guess what? Remember, it's he that doeth the will of the Father. I'm going to pray that prayer of repentance over and over and over again. It's not going to just be one time. It's not one time at an altar, and now all of a sudden I'm saved. It's continuation of, I, you know what? I, I repented 150 times, <laughs> probably in a week, okay? I mean, I'm, I'm always repenting. Why? Because we're hu human. We're flesh. We fall. We fail. But now we've repented. What do we do now? Well, you look at Christ. There was death, burial, and resurrection. Death, the dying out, we can align with that by dying out to self. It's repentance. Second thing is burial. What's the burial portion? Look at Romans 6, 3, and 4. It says, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized unto his death. Therefore, we are buried with him, how? By baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. To bury. What does it mean to bury? To bury means to submerge, engross, cover up. Just based on the definition of the word alone, the biblical method for baptism calls for us to be submerged, engrossed, or covered up. And so we obey the burial of Jesus Christ by being baptized. But just like Jesus was not buried alive, we can't be baptized until we repent. There, otherwise, you think about it. Think about burying someone. If we bury someone after they die, it's called a funeral. If we bury them alive, it's called a homicide. I mean, you just think about that. So God doesn't call the believer to bury something that's alive. We're called to bury something that has been dead, that has died out. So if you have never, if someone comes into the church where I pastor and they say, I want to be baptized, we discuss repentance first before baptism. Because if you have not repented and you jump in water, 
All you're doing is jumping in a dry center and coming out a wet one, and nothing's changed. It is the fact that, hey, I'm repenting, I'm changing my course, and now I want to have my sins washed away. And so in this case, when we repent and die out to self, now we're ready to be buried in baptism. Look at a conversation Jesus has with the Pharisee in John 3, 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And look what Jesus says to Nicodemus and is recorded by John in Scripture. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, that's confusing. He says, how can a man be born when he's old? Is he going to his mother's womb a second time? Like, this is confusing. So Jesus clarifies. He says, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus, not anybody else, Jesus defines new birth, new birth, second birth, new birth as being born of the water and born of the spirit. And he says, if you are not born of the water and the spirit, you cannot enter God's kingdom. So if you're a Bible believer, this is a salvation issue. This is not a, a religion denomination. Well, that's what you believe. That's what, you're, that's what you do. No, this is the Bible. He says, except you're born of water and spirit, you cannot enter God's kingdom. So we need to know what is the water and what is the spirit. Well, the spirit we're going to look at next time, but the water is water baptism. Okay? He makes this clear. We, we spend the rest of our time here in this lesson looking at water baptism. What is the water and does it matter how I'm baptized. Well, some churches put people under the water and bring them back up. Other churches will sprinkle water on heads. Others will pour water on heads. Some churches baptize in the name of Jesus. Some churches baptize in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Some churches will baptize infants, and some churches will just baptize adults or adolescents. So what in the world is the way to do it? What is, does scripture have a voice in this, or is it all based on church tradition? Baptism is more than joining a church. I, I hear this a lot. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward faith. Yes, but it's a lot more than that. Remember, we talk over and over about how God is a covenant God with Abraham. God establishes a covenant relationship. He establishes parameters for Abraham and his family to follow. He says, as many as in your house, to the next generation, from here on out, if you want to be a part of this amazing covenant that I laid the parameters for, you're going to do this, and so is your family, or you will be out of covenant. He's very serious about his covenant. You can say, oh, man, it's not a, that big of a deal. But Abraham knew, if I want my kids to be in covenant, we have to do this. And so... God even had Abraham take on a new name. He went from Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. We actually do the exact same thing in the New Testament, except for instead of changing our name, we just take on a new name. When we're baptized and we enter into covenant relationship, just as Abraham did, we take on a new name. But instead of going from Abram to Abraham, the name we take on is Jesus Christ. 
Ephesians 4, 4 says there is one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There was not meant to be, there was one baptism and then one God, which we looked at in our last lesson, and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. God never intended there to be hundreds of different religions, denominations, baptisms, methods. He never intended that. Scripture right here says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now there are all kinds of problems as to who's right and who's good. Well, where did all these issues come from? Somebody somewhere either added to the word of God or took away from the word of God. They said, you know what? I think it means this. And they added things. Or they said, I don't think that's really important. And they took things away. So now we have all kinds of different belief systems. And so I'm not arrogant enough to say my belief system is the only one that, that is uh, eternally secure. And uh, No, but I can confidently say everything I, I, I speak of is in the word of God. And I speak it with clarity. Where the word of God is clear, I will be clear. Where the word of God is unclear, I won't, I won't just add clarity based on what my opinion is. If you ever hear me in this Bible go, well, I think my opinion is this on that. Like, just plug your ears. Ignore me. Because my opinion did not die for you on a cross. I, I don't have that. I don't swing that kind of weight. So I stick to the word of God. So the New Testament was written in the Greek language. So it's important to understand the words that were meant in Greek. The Greek word for, bap, for baptize, that's transliterated into baptize, actually means to cover wholly with fluid. And so if you spoke to any Greek linguistic specialist, that, prob that person will always tell you that the word as it was initially written would mean to be completely immersed in water. As a matter of fact, interesting quote, you can check this out. The U.S. Catholic magazine in their February 1979 edition, I quote from an article. It says, at first, baptism was administered in the name of Jesus. And it says, certainly, the first Christians baptized by immersion. So if we know, based on what they put in that article, at first, baptism was done in the name of Jesus, and it absolutely first Christians were done by immersion. Why did we change? When I say I'm apostolic, that's not a denomination. That is, I'm aligning with what the apostles did, their methods, their, their theology, their way of doing things, their belief system. And we're going to see that, that they baptized by immersion in the name of Jesus. So that's the way I want to do it. Look at John 3, 23. John points out that John, the, the, the apostle John writes about John the Baptist. And he says, and John was baptizing in Anan near Selim. Why? Because there was much water there and, they, and, and they, they, they that came were baptized. Why would he waste time telling us, oh, there's a lot of water there? Because in order to have a biblical method of baptism, you needed more than just like a little pint of water. It, it gave us that point because they were immersing people in the water. John the Baptist was known as the forerunner to Christ. He baptized at this place with a lot of water. Look at a time when an authorized evangelist of the New Testament church was preaching to a well-respected Ethiopian traveler. Acts 8.35, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, which I just want to stop there because I'm, I'm a preacher. I'm like, well, give me the, I want the, I want the sermon notes. What did he preach? It just says he preached to him Jesus. That's it. 
What does that even mean? Look at the next verse. They went on their way. They came to certain water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Now, just hold it. All we know is he preached to him Jesus. Next step, I want to be baptized. You can't preach Jesus to someone, the death, the burial, the resurrection, without including water baptism. And that's why he stops and says, hey, preach to him, Jesus. Next verse, there's water. I want to be baptized. Why? Because I want to align with that death, burial, and resurrection. I know what Jesus Christ did for me. I know what his plan is for my life, and I want to align with that plan. God's grace is reaching out to me. I'm believing it, and I want to obey it. And so Philip says, if you believe, because belief is part of salvation, but that's not where it stops. He did not say, if you believe, you're saved. Read this prayer with me. We're good to go. He does not say that. He says, if you believe with all thine heart, you can be baptized. And he said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That was a theological statement about the oneness of God right there. And so Philip then, he commands the chariot to stand still. And what does scripture say? They both went down into the water. If this Ethiopian eunuch is second to Candace, queen of Ethiopia, why in the world did they not just grab a little water and just dab it on his head? Because they said, stop the whole thing. It doesn't matter where you're going or how you're dressed. We got to do it the biblical method. He says, you preach to me, Jesus. I see it. I believe Jesus Christ, the son of God. I want to get in that water. So they stopped the chariot and they both went down into the water. Because that is the biblical method for baptism. And that's why in verse 39 it says, When they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. What a magnificent day. And if you read the whole backstory, Philip was called out of a, a rock and revival in Samaria. God calls him to the middle of the, the, whole, the wilderness to reach to this one hungry individual that wanted God. So when you say, well, what about this person in Zimbabwe? What about my aunt that lives over here? What about the family I have in the mountains? Listen, before you start trying to say, well, what about this? What about this? The, the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and know that we serve such a great God that he will call one person to the middle of nowhere, the desert, to reach one individual that was hungry for God. And when he hears Jesus preach, he says, I got to be baptized in that wonderful name. And so they did it. How did they do it? Down in the water by immersion. That's the scriptural way. So in order to be baptized according to the word, we have to be submerged in the water. It's the very meaning, the very essence of the Greek word baptized. The water must cover us up. If we want to be Christians, right, then I want to be Christ-like, like Jesus. Well, guess what? Even Jesus himself was immersed. Look at Matthew 3.16. It says, Jesus, when he was baptized... Went, went up straightway out of the water. Went up straightway out of the water. Does baptism take care of all my sin now? Well, when you combine repentance along with baptism, every single poor choice, mistake, foolish decision, anything that you have ever done has been washed away. Repentance is... Saying you're sorry, changing your mind, the about face. Baptism, repentance is your part. Baptism is God's part, but it's your response. It's when you say, God, I've repented, and now I want to step in that water, and I want to have my sins washed away. There ain't, that, that's not holy water. I know some people say holy water. That is water from our city's tap, and there is nothing special about the water itself. But it's the answer of a good conscience. We're about to look at that in Peter. 
It's an, the answer of a good conscience when I have repented of my sins and I'm aligning in faith. That's why you can be baptized in a, in a bathtub in the Jordan River. People all want to do it in Israel in the Jordan River. You know, the Jordan River bathtub, baptismal in a church. But it, according to scripture, it's by immersion. And so that's God washing away our sins. The minute my nose touches the top of that water, my sins are completely washed away. You know, there were people in the New Testament times who were just like us. They heard a message of hope that comes from the cross, and God's grace was reaching out to them, and they wanted to respond, and they were unsure how to respond, and that's why Peter, he stands up one time, and they ask him what to do, and look what he says in Acts 2.37. They heard this. Peter had just preached a message all about Jesus, just like we just read with Philip, and they were pricked in their heart. Because when you hear a message about the, the love of Christ and the price he paid, that should touch our hearts. And they looked and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, they said, what shall we do? Notice, do. At that point, if all you had to do was believe, wouldn't Peter have just done, just believe and you're saved. You don't have to do anything. Just, just God did it. Jesus died on that cross. Let's all worship him. They said, what do we need to do? Peter clearly and succinctly says, Three things. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of, notice he lays out the method too, the name, the covenant, the name of Jesus Christ. So I don't want to be baptized in any titles or names other than Jesus Christ. Repent, step one, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He lays it out. Look at that pattern. He tells them to do it in the name of Jesus. Now, some confusion in modern day has been caused by Matthew 28, 19. As Jesus is ascending to heaven, he, he, he looks at the believers gathered there and he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And so sometimes people say, well, there is the scripture. There it is. See? But we just read a scripture where Peter says to baptize in the name of Jesus. You'll see countless other scriptures where they were baptized in the name of the Lord, baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Not one time do we see anything else, but the apostles, they, they didn't seem to be confused by this. Because here, the name, the, what is the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? Jesus. Otherwise, Peter... When Peter said for the first time, after Jesus ascends, says, wait here in the, for the promise of the Spirit, they get the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And by the end of cha Acts chapter 2, a, a, a group of people have gathered going, what should we do? Peter says, you need to be repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't the other people that ha were gathered on that mountain, wouldn't, then, wouldn't they have been like, oh, whoa, 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 hold it, hang on here. Remember he said in the name, title, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. No, no, Peter, I'm sorry, you, you got that wrong. There was no confusion there. They knew that the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost was Jesus. That's why Peter says, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And we don't see any other record of anybody correcting him or doing it different. The name is so important because it's scriptural. It's biblical. It's where we enter into covenant when I take on that name. That's why Acts 4.12 says there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 
the, Jesus is a saving name. It literally means Jehovah God, the Old Testament God, has become or is our salvation. Jesus means salvation. So I want to take on that name. He's the one that paid the price on Calvary. And so as we've been seeing throughout the Bible study, there's so much power in the names. You look at a, a, a bride and a groom. When does the bride take on the name? Or when does the bride marry? She takes on the name of the husband. The church can also become the bride of Christ. When do I become the bride of Christ? When I take on his name in water baptism. And so when we take on that name, guess what? We're talking all about this covenant weeks ago about Abraham. We can also be a part of that covenant. Look at what Paul says in Galatians 3.27. For as many of you have been, because initially this was just Abraham and the Israelites, but look, Paul says as many of you has, have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Two verses later he says, and if you're Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Wow, I get to be a part of covenant relationship that God established thousands of years ago with Abraham and his obedience. And he opened it up to Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish people like myself. And I can be in covenant relationship when I take on the name in the waters of baptism. I align with Christ by being buried with him in baptism. Matter of fact, you look at this chart that's coming up on your screen. The name was integral to the method of baptism. Look at all of the instances in scripture where people were baptized in the name of Jesus. And you can look at these later, screenshot or take a picture of your screen if you're watching. But these are scriptures where in the name of Jesus, in the New Testament, in the name of Jesus, according to the plan. But now I want you to see all of the instances where people were baptized in scripture according to the title of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. There you go. Not one time in Scripture ever does anyone ever get baptized in the title Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That doesn't come until a couple hundred years later. I want a biblical experience. So now, what about, at what age though? What age should someone get baptized? Some have used the terminology age of accountability. Now, that's not a scriptural or biblical term, but I understand the reason for its usage. Anytime someone was baptized in the New Testament, if you study it all out, there was always a number of things that took place. There was seeing, teaching, believing, understanding the cross and what Jesus did, repenting, and making a decision. Every time. Teaching, seeing, believing, understanding the cross, what Jesus did, repenting and making a decision. So we must ask ourselves, at what age can someone capably do these things? Where they say, I understand what Jesus did. I believe in that. I want to adhere to that. I want to repent of my sins. I want to enter in a covenant relationship. I want to live the rest of my life for Jesus Christ. Well, for some, that might be the age of six. I don't, I don't know. A six-year-old can understand, man, Jesus died on the cross. I want to repent of my sins, and I want my whole life to live for Jesus. Maybe for some, that's a lot older. They might not be able to comprehend that and understand that. If baptism, that's why if a, if a child wants to be baptized, I, I always speak to the parent. And if the parent says, now I'll have a conversation with the child, and if they can't answer questions, oh, you know what, who died for you on the cross? Do you know what baptism does? If they, if they, if they have no understanding of what washes away my sins, I want to live the rest of my life for Jesus. In my opinion, they're not ready yet. Because scripturally, that's what we see. 
So if baptism, what we do know is if it always required this teaching, seeing, believing, understanding, commitment, repentance, that is something that an infant is incapable of. So I don't mean to be derogatory to anybody's theology, but if an infant, if you've been baptized and you say, I was baptized as an infant, you didn't understand, you didn't remember, you didn't make a decision, didn't repent, probably didn't even believe at that point. And so that is not a valid biblical method of baptism. Baptism is more, though, than I said this earlier, than just joining a church. It's even more than entering into covenant. The Bible makes both repentance and baptism necessary components of salvation. He says, except you repent, you'll likewise perish. We need to be born of the water and spirit to enter the kingdom of God. And it's reinforced in Mark 16, 16. It says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's a salvation issue. A lot of people will say it's just an outward sign of inward faith. It's joining a church. It's way more than that. Oh, it's not a salvation issue. Yet, according to Scripture, it is. 1 Peter 3.21, the life figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. How can we make the argument baptism is not a salvation issue? Scripture says baptism is part of what saves us. It's not that we'll put in, putting away of a filthable flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward, toward God by the resurrection of Jesus. Again, it's not about holy water, magic in the water. It's about our, God, our, our faith and obedience responding to God's grace. Notice how what we talked about weeks ago, the foundational theme of salvation still remains. Jesus' grace, Jesus died on the cross and shared his plan for our salvation. It's clear. Peter said, what are we supposed to do? He's supposed to repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, and receive the Holy Ghost. He just makes it super clear. We're going to either believe the plan and believe what God did, or we'll say, I don't believe it. But even if we say we believe, he's the author of eternal salvation to those who do what? Obey him. And so we have to put our faith into action. That's what obedience is. And so I bring this to a close in Acts 22, 16. It says, now why tarriest thou? Arise, be baptized, wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord, which is what? Jesus. There were no delayed baptisms in the New Testament. I'm all for it. Churches will do baptism Sunday. That's great. Celebrate baptism. But there was never like a we only baptized one time a month deal. There were never delayed baptisms like, oh, let me, you want to think about it? Well, great. We have another baptism service coming up three weeks from today. No, if you, if you wanted to be like, look, look at Philip. The eunuch, hey, preach to him Jesus. Next verse, hey, there's water. What's keeping me from being baptized? When God's grace reaches out, they put their faith into action. So what is keeping you from getting baptized in Jesus' name by immersion for the remission of your sins? Well, I've already been baptized before. Well, guess what? As we close this out, there is scriptural answers, scriptural evidence for people being rebaptized. Acts 19.1, and came to pass, they were at Apollos and Corinth, and Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and he found certain disciples. He said to them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now, that'll be something we'll talk about next lesson, but they said to him, we haven't even heard that there be a Holy Ghost. He says, well, then 
how are you baptized? Under who, what, where are you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism, John the Baptist, which was a valid baptism at first. It paved the way for Christ. But now when Christ died on the cross, there was a name. There was a new method that, hey, now Jesus. We call on the name of Jesus. And so they uh, then said, Paul, well, John barely baptized with baptism of repentance that they should believe on him which should come after him, which is Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. That's Jesus' name. So here they are. They, hear, they, they could have said, well, man, I got baptized by John the Baptist. Don't hand me none of that. No, 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 no. It didn't matter. They put their pride down and said, wait, you're, you just preach Jesus again, and I want to obey the death, burial, and resurrection. I've never been baptized in the name of Jesus. Sure, mine was John the Baptist. That was great. It was for a time, but I've never been baptized in the name of Jesus. If you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus, as laid out in Scripture, by immersion, man, I tell you, you can do it today. If, if I can help in any way, if you're local, we'll do it. We're here in Liberty. If you're somewhere across the nation or the world, I promise you, I will find someone that can baptize you by immersion in the name of Jesus because you can tell obviously I get excited I'm passionate about this because it is the word of God and so the only biblical pattern we see for entering into this amazing covenant is to be at the age of understanding where you say I know what Jesus Christ did on the cross I want to make a commitment. I want to repent of my sins. I want to be fully immersed in water in his wonderful name. I want to take on that name and I want to have those sins completely washed away. What hinders you from responding today?